Hey guys, all right, welcome back to the Back Stuff Show. This week we have Ed Upton. He is the CEO and founder of Little Data, which is a product for Shopify, which helps people to get better conversion rate and better analytics on their platform. Couldn't be in a better place at a better time, because Shopify is obviously going through the roof and people are coming and building up their own shops all the time. So he is, what, he's a bit of a genius. He's second time founder and previously a product guy, but I'll let him talk about himself. So look, Ed, imagine we're on a first date, although for the listeners, it's actually our second date because the first podcast got lost in the ether. So this is all smoke and mirrors. Uh, but like, tell me about yourself. Tell me, uh, what's your background and what are you doing? Hi, thanks, Tom. Um, well, uh, yes, yeah, so we, we started a little data uh, about five years ago in London, um, helping Shopify stores get a, a better connection with Google Analytics and Segment. And from there, as you say, they can get a better view of how their marketing's performing, where customers are dropping out and what's their lifetime customer value. And um, yeah, I came to the business um, really through, I guess, a lot of entrepreneurs um, having a previous uh, job as a consultant, had this pain and uh, ended up being dragged into lots of these sort of manual tracking setups with Google Tag Manager and lots of um, manual audits and spreadsheets. And it all felt like very hard work. And almost in net, no client did, did that ever work for more than about six months. Eventually someone broke something and, um, and then the tracking was off again and people were like, oh, I can't trust it anymore. So yeah, we felt that we, we we could we could we could do something better. We could automate something that that, that people try to do manually, um, custom for each store. And obviously, the, the the key point with e-commerce is that almost all of these stores are, are doing the same operations. Yes, they're different products. Yes, they're different market sectors. But every store has a you know product listing page, product details page, a checkout or you know thank you page. It's it's a e-commerce is a very standard process and. Obviously, on a platform at like Shopify, even more standard. You know that you, you cannot edit some of the processes, so um, that makes it much much easier for us to kind of roll out a template um, tracking, um, you know, a standard sort of e-commerce tracking, and that everyone can use and access in their own Google Analytics account or other tools. So, I, so let's dig into that a little bit. So I love that. So, yeah, classic founder story there, Ed. You know, you were you were doing the job for someone else and you're like, wow, this is complicated. It's not working. I'm going to go and build something better. So yeah. at that point, if you had any experience of building a product yourself before, if you're a consultant, you're helping people out, but like, had you been down this road before? Yeah, I, I had. So I started my first business when I was in my uh, late twenties, about 28. Um, you sold it. Uh, started, you sold it. Um, started. Okay. Yep. So, uh, it was a business called teachable.net. Um, not teachable.com, which exited for 300 million last year. Wish I wish I'd founded that. We actually sold out to teachable.com for, for cash, not shares. Um, but we, uh, yeah, I had an idea really. And it, and it was based off not my experience of being a teacher, but talking to a lot of my friends from uni who'd gone into teaching and were frustrated by that. So we, we, we built out a product around basically teachers sharing curriculum resources. So it's a marketplace um, for teachers. Um, we got to a fair amount of traction and I guess I, I got quite into the product development. Um, but we never found a good way to make money out of it. Uh, and the reality is that um, teachers are not well paid. They, they, they don't like spending their own cash on what they, what they see as something the school should buy. And the schools don't uh, have much discretionary budget at all. They do it's a very long process. So I, I really don't know that many ed tech businesses that have been successful. Um, in fact, teachable.com was successful exactly because it wasn't selling teachers, it sells to professionals and um, lots of others. And 
So I, I kind of, we, we, we grafted away for four years. Um, we built out a product. We got to about 100,000 users. Wow. Um, I felt like I, we, we executed something right. Um, but I, I, I went out for low exit in the end just because actually I sought to lose focus, um, sought to lose confidence that this was going to be a big, a big win. And I think as a founder, when you know that, um, you know, you've no longer got that motivation, your heart's not in anymore, you, you have to find a way to get out because actually you're never going to be successful at something you don't, you know, 100% believe in. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think what um, is a fascinating message there and one that's really great for all of our listeners is that you had 100,000 listeners, 100,000. Yeah. Sorry, Adam, when I say listeners, sorry. Yeah. I'm talking about my own podcast there. Mm-hmm. I don't have that many yet. Uh, we had 100,000 customers. People would be like, God, this guy must be cutting some serious quiche here. Yeah. But the reality is like, if you've got 100,000 customers, but they're not people who are going to be spending money, you don't have a business. Yeah. yeah. So like, yeah, 100%. What a, I mean, you learn the hard way, but I totally I re- respect you for your um, understanding that you can buy it out of that. And also, like, if you don't believe in your product, Mm. got to be out and i think also you know it's not not just for me but think of all those big news organizations i mean the reality is that people will go to extraordinary lengths online to get free content and what we discovered is just i mean even even for a small paywall it's actually really really hard to to get people to decide you know look there's free and you know there's there's a little bit more money but it's gonna you're gonna have to take your credit card out that's a it's a very very big ask and um and yet, you know, in that niche, there's not really any enough people to, you know, you can't advertise to 100,000 people. That may, again, that may sound a lot, but, you know, no ad-based model works for that sort of low volume. Yeah, what kind of, yeah, so actually just quickly, what, what does it work out? What level of volume do you need? I mean, you know, the, the, I guess ad rates depend on the market sector, don't they? If, you, if, if all our users had been sort of, um, you know, private equity founders, you know, they probably probably would have been a viable business. But again, for teachers, it's not a very lucrative market. To, of course. To yeah. you know, let's say we just served display ads to, to all those people coming to visit. I mean, we, you know, we might have made a few thousand a month, but that, that hardly covers one salary. Yeah, sure. That makes perfect sense. But then you saw the future. Okay, you were like, look, I know there's going to be a global pandemic and everyone's going to move towards shopping online and not in shops anymore. And you're like, look, I've seen this three years in advance. I'm now going to build a product to help those people get better. So you're living that you were in the process, you're working as a consultant. How do you get into that game? Because like it's it's actually fairly common, I think, the journey of uh, business, but whether you were a founder, whether you work in a business, you be you realize you're good at something, you become a consultant, because that's the natural path because it's quite easy to go and become a consultant and then you see a problem and you're like do you know what actually let's have some courage here let's bite the bullet let's make a product to solve this problem rather than just telling people how to do it yeah so how what was the transition for you yeah i mean i i think i'd always wanted you know i always knew that the sort of consulting was an interim job for me and i i I started off my career by the way before to go track back a little bit further before teachable i um i started my career with accenture doing kind of strategy consulting and um and then a few other strategy consultants so i i knew from those those early years that i didn't really ever i don't want to you know you can you can have a perfectly lucrative career as a niche consultant particularly in you know uh technology um but I, I knew that I, I wanted to start a product company. I wanted to start something that had a, you know, that, that had a life. We were selling something that wasn't just my time. Um, and I think once you know that, the first thing you've got to be real about is that products take investment. 
you, you cannot just uh, expect to, um, yeah, the whole point about a service business is basically, you know, I can, I can I have my day rate, I can just rock up at the client and I, I can basically blag it. Uh, I don't need to rock up with anything more than a computer and a pen maybe. And I can, yeah. I can earn my day rate just, just on, on, on the hoof. But actually with the product, you know, there's all this stuff that needs to be um, found out, discovered, built, um, experimented with, and it takes time. And so, Honestly, we spent the first two years of the business um, experimenting. Um, I uh, took the, uh, you know, I, I I had a kind of, you know, the first decision I made was kind of whether to spend the savings I had from my consulting on a product company. So so yeah. what I'm saying is I believe you've got to make a, a decision from the top that you want to start a product business. And that means investment. And that means um, basically what we did is we spent the first two years experimenting. I had saved up a bit of cash from, from the consulting and I, I had to make a choice. And I, the choice was basically either I hire this quite good developer I know to kind of build this sketchy product that, that I'd sort of spec'd out. Um, or I basically just fund myself for four months and figure out some of the, some of the tech. Uh, and I went in for the latter option. Um, you know, I, I, I was no no stranger to a bit of coding. I'd, I'd, I'd you know misspent youth, um, but um, but yeah, I think it was the right choice because okay. the honest, reality is the first product that they had was absolutely awful. Um, it was a kind of you know funnel building thing, and it would it would have just totally flopped. And in fact, the next three ideas we had were not that great. We we, we got a bit further with product development. We built you know we built some quite cool algorithms, and but it was basically all about. Um, it was trying to solve a slightly different problem, problem, which is kind of how do you get insight from the data? So it was trying to suck in the Google Analytics data and try and tell you what was interesting. But again, didn't work. And actually, um, quite interesting. So we're on that just quickly, so people yeah. just, just go into that, dig into that yeah. a little bit. When you say it didn't work, like what does that mean? So how who was who was telling you it didn't work? Yeah, good question. Um, so yes, we 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 got as far and we got quite excited about it. internally. We did some initial sort of, you know, customer research and show people a few prototypes. They said it looks quite fun. You know, it look, looks like something I've used. But the, the, when I said it doesn't work, we basically sort of then started pushing it out to some nascent customers. We did a bit of bit of basic marketing, landing pages, so on. And there just wasn't engagement. People, you know, it, it functionally worked that, that you know, the, the, the product was there and so on. But people just didn't, they looked at it for, for, for a couple of weeks and then just, tail off there was no, there was no kind of um yeah action. so the classic sort of pirate metrics of of i don't know if you ever read that uh, uh it, was a, it was a classic sort of um 500 startups um mantra but you know activation sorry awareness activation retention referral and revenue and you kind of need to get these five things in in order in order to build a you know successful um you know, recurring revenue business um, so we got some awareness of the product. We got some people actually installing it. We got some activation. They could actually, you know, connect, up, create their account. And so on. Yeah. The problem was with just retention that they just they just drop out. And um, the um, uh, and so basically, yeah, we went we went through a few. We went through let, let's see some minor iterations of that. And like, well, okay, we thought first of all it's nearly there and it just needs to be, have a bit more. You know, maybe change the user interface. Maybe have a few more metrics, but a bit more settings and then i think um you know it dawned on me that we were focusing on the wrong problem because actually we started to get all these e-commerce customers out of that saying oh well you know look i'd you know this is really interesting but the problem i have is i don't think the data it's pulling from is accurate or 
yeah. I don't think I've got the right stuff set up. So it's, it's one of these classic things where it was quite hard to know what the real customer problem was until you built the first product and got it out there because people weren't people weren't actually sitting there at the beginning saying we we need this Shopify app. Um, that we only discovered that through through having some customers of the first product that didn't really work. And then finding out that you know they would if, if we could solve the actual data setup problem that that would be great, and we kept ourselves going in the meantime by doing some consulting. So we had some kind of managed services customers on the side. We we had some revenue coming in from basically doing this manual setup, um, uh, mainly with Google Tag Manager, and and we were learning from that. And so 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 we sort of said right, okay, with the with the actual software development side, let's let's uh, let's pivot. Let's let's focus in on this. Uh, Shopify app. It was initially just a you know quite just a pilot project. We did, we certainly didn't uh, expect it to be the the main product when, when we started it. We thought we were still focused on this other thing, and then over the over the following two years, it just gradually became you know got more and more traction, and we realised actually this was sticky revenue. People were willing to pay us every month, month in month out for a solid data feed, and um, and that actually this was a this is something we could build on, and gradually we've kind of killed or deprecated most of the most of the original other stuff we we're working on, um, just because there was no real paying customer base for it. So, the, I guess really the the magic there was you just start providing value, right? That was the measure. Like once you started, you started to find what the value was for those customers, then they started to to keep using you, right? That's basically what it was, right? Yeah, that, and, and I think also reach to market. So I think one of the things we really struggled with before we came to the Shopify ecosystem was kind of like actually do very well getting people to try out a free app, but getting, again, people, getting people to sort of actually get out their credit card and so on. It's all because a lot of the people who want to try it and it's not, they don't want to pay for it personally, but they don't necessarily have budget. But the, so the brilliant thing about, you know, Shopify's model, although they, they take their 20% cut for it, but the, basically they do the billing. So your app just gets added on to their to their um, you know, monthly bill and mm-hmm. item, and it's it's very easy to it's very easy on. I mean, you get high churn compared with other kind of SaaS apps for sure, and it's been interesting talking to investors in that sector you know, who invest in other Shopify apps because they it's a common problem. It's not unique to us, but they do provide you with access to the to the customer's money, and that is really important when particularly when doing a sort of B two B product is often it, it, the, the, your problem might not just be getting a product they want to use. Your problem can also be getting to the person who can pay for it. Yeah, it. sure. In the current climate, marketing is hard. But do you know what isn't hard? Making sure you never miss an episode of your favourite podcast. So tap the follow button on your podcast and you'll never miss out on the latest episodes of Unicorny or Marketing Difference. You can even go back and listen to our back catalogue of amazing episodes. If you do that, please leave us a review it would mean so much and so how do you how do you scale there so like you know i guess yeah when you talk about route to market obviously i guess you're in some kind of shopify app store or whatever how do you scale from where you are now because there'll be people who are listening to this who are creating apps like that you know whether it be for shopify or webflow or whatever um or wordpress and they'll be like okay so i've got a little bit of a good customer base here and it's going all right but how do i then scale that up how do i get that to the next level yeah, sure. Um, well, again, <laughs> we're right. We're right in the thick of that. Um, yeah, it took me, it took me a, yeah, too long to realize one of the foundations is a, is a really high quality product. And I do mean because I, I think that basically there's so much crap out there on on these app stores that actually customers are very they're very willing to give something new something a try, but they're, they're ruthlessly um, 
they're ruthless when they when they find a problem because they just they'll just assume that there's one bug there's going to be hundreds. Do you see what I mean? Yes, sure. Well, we found that customers are particularly as we go up market to, to sell to bigger stores. Um, it's got to be solid, uh, and that's everything from you know the kind of onboarding experience, the the user interface, the the data collection, the the support documentation. Um, Customer support, another thing, you know, a lot of our excellent, you know, we, so we get more, more installs because we have excellent reviews and we have excellent reviews. Okay. Because it's a good product, but also because we have kind of, you know, really excellent customer support. Um, again, it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to take a lot of time. A lot of it is quite, you know, we, we have some sort of standard articles we just send people links to, but it's got to be responsive and it's got to be, you know, on the, on the message. That's really interesting. I think, um, yeah, that is interesting because that thing about being having a great product is just because people like this conflicting information. Because first of all, like you know, if you're not embarrassed by your MVP, you've released it too late. Like you got to you got to get something out there. You got to test it. You got to see what people are saying about you. At the same time, you know that you're not going to get real traction until yeah, you've got a great product that people really care about. And yeah. the gaps that you have, so things like documentation and so forth, you're not going to know about that. Until someone raises a question and says to you, actually, do you know what, Ed, I need that. You know, it's not very good. So you have to keep pushing yourself out and put out iterations for make it work. Okay, so what's next for you guys? So you guys are currently, you are your, your angel back to the moment. And now you're looking to rocket ship and get some VC money. Is that the plan? Well, I think that's the plan. Yeah. So, so I think, I, um, you know, for a few reasons. I mean, the, the first is that, you know, that shop buyers, you say, is going gangbusters themselves. They they have, um, yeah, I think they've more than doubled their revenue this year. And, oh, I dropped out there a moment. Uh, more than doubled their revenue this year. They've got, um, you know, lots more uh, larger customers migrating to them. So the, the size of the opportunity is just really grown a lot. Amazing. But also, I think there's a similar opportunity on other e-commerce platforms. I, th- I think, uh, you know, there's, there's another sort of four or five cloud e-commerce platforms we, we think we can do a similar thing for. So I, I think you suddenly think, okay, well, if, if I can run this product team and, and this marketing effort for this one platform, what if I could do three others in parallel? Um, you know, we just hire more people to do that. So I think that's the, the game plan is basically to, to get better at what we're doing Shopify, but take that same um same usp to to other platforms i get that and it's hard for you as a founder because you're a technical founder right because you built the product first so you're sitting there you're building product you're leading that tech and you're going out and raising money at the same time yeah. like what's your like productivity is a hard thing as a founder like to try and manage your time what's your advice to other founders what's your like do you have a hack um yeah, I think that I, I think my advice is that you've got to be careful to focus on the um, on the on the on the product and the and the sales growth first. I mean, I've one of the mistakes I made in my first business was that uh, you know because we were such a uh, basically it was only really me driving the bus. Um, whenever I went out to sort of you know focus on fundraising. Um, everything else just stopped. And, and so you, you get to a sort of stall point where you've, you've just about got these investors after a few months and then suddenly well, yep, they're like, well, hang on, where's the growth? And you're like, well, yeah, but I need your cash to grow. Yeah. Um, I think with little data, we most have tried a good path where fundraising has kind of been always on, but in the, but, but you know, a, a minority of my time. So I've, I've never, you know, I've never just focused hundred percent on fundraising for a bit. I've always just, um, you know, tried to, track along some some periods don't get me wrong you know have been nearly 50 percent of my time but but most months it's been more like 10 to 20 percent and um 
and I think the important thing about that is that you, you need to make you need to continue to make progress with with hiring with you know improving the product with with you know growing sales um and you know because actually in the long term i think we, we were talking about this before the interview that actually in the, in the long term fundraising is a kind of momentum game eventually you get a good brand with investors they invite other investors to join you and we're starting to get that momentum where they go hey this is a gig you know you, you might want to come in this well and um so i think i think that the, going back to the productivity thing um I just think, I think two things over the last few months, I think one of them is just trying to avoid actually getting sucked into calls and meetings with investors that are not going to invest. Um, okay. Amen to that, buddy. Yeah, yeah. I hear you. But I, I had this advice, I actually talked to a really uh, interesting guy who started an accelerator we were part of in, in Texas. And you know, he, he raised a lot of money for previous companies. And he said, look, you know, before you, it's all very flattering because Again, we've had that a lot because obviously we started to get noticed a bit the last six months. That's kind of great. We spent, you know, you spend five years being unnoticed, but but you start getting noticed a bit, and then you get all these inbound VCs going, "Hey, we really love your business, and would you have time for coffee?" And it's all very flattering, particularly the ones with sort of big brand names you've heard of. But then, you know, he was saying, "Look, you really should ask them, like, what would you invest? You know, like, what is the minimum metrics you invest in? You know, how how big would I need to be in revenue, people, so on, and and really just say no to people who are not." you know, you're, you're not ready for, or you won't be ready for in the next six months. Because you always have, a, you know, you always have a meeting with them six months, 12 months time, but time is pressure. So so I think don't talk to, don't talk to people who are going to flatter you, but not give you cash. <laughs> I hear you, buddy. I hear you. That's really good advice. I should really like that. Um, I have a couple of two more, I have three more questions for you, actually, just so we can squeeze in the time. First one is, so you, you have a lot of your staff based in Romania and overseas. Yeah. Yeah. How do you find that talent? Yep. Uh, so, yeah, to, again, to go just back a bit, we, when we when it, quite soon after I started the company, I was um, working with a designer in London and he moved back to Romania. He was fed up with kind of living in a, in a cramped flat in East London and wanted a bit, bit more of, you know, the good life. And, and he said, look, you know, look, it's a really good centre where we're, where our main office is in Cluj-Napoca for, for tech talent. There's lots of developers here. Why don't we start an office? We, we did. And, and fast forward, we've got a you know a really great team of um, well twelve people now uh, in one office, but but now actually half of them working remotely. So I think the first thing is that you've got to you've got to get out there and be in person, kind of meet people. Um, I I know it's been difficult in the last year, but for the first three years when we had the office, I was out there kind of six times a year, six weeks a year, really. Um, you know, interviewing people, talking to the current team. I never wanted, we've been very careful to make sure that they are part of the team. You know, we, we, and previous, I, I, as I might have mentioned, I had a few years working as a product manager for other companies. Yeah. And um, yeah, we really suffered with this problem where it was like more like an outsourcing shop where, where the, you know, the, the product was built by an, these other people in another country. And I was thought it was really corrosive for culture where you, you know, so them and us, um, they're not, you know, they just build it, we actually sell it. It's it's really it's a really bad mentality, and it, what the key thing that goes wrong there is, and this is I think why a lot of VCs are so still so pro co-located teams, is that the, the the critical stuff in a startup, the kind of the, the the customer feedback, the the oh actually you know it's this this is the problem over here, or this or customers are dropping out because the web page is really slow to load. These these little bits that make for success get lost, and so it's so hard running a remote team, but obviously. 
you know, we do believe in it as a remote first. And we believe that to compensate for that, you've got to try super hard to over communicate. And that's every day on Slack. That's every day on uh, Zoom calls. But that's also in normal times in person a few times a year. We try and come together, kind of work together for a week and actually have that time to, you know, uh, and it's often the way it'll be after a few beers, you know, in the barbecue and someone something they're like, oh, my word, you're working on, you know, you're working that because I'd be amazing for this customer over here. And just, just yeah. I mean, those sort of conversations are what make for success. And you've got to find ways to enable them even in, even in remote work. I'm with you. That's really good advice. Okay, get to the last bit of the show. And one last question. What is your one piece of advice that you would give to every founder? Uh, believe in yourself. Go do it. I, I, I think that you only have one life. And if you have a, a passion for something, a vision for making it work, you know, give it a run. It, do, it won't happen overnight. You won't make success for it in a year or two years. You're probably going to need to give it three or four years before you really start to, to reap mm-hmm. the benefits. But honestly, if you can you know, scrape together enough money to, to support yourself or your family over that time, then you know, go, go, go and have a go. Because the way I see it is, particularly in, in tech world, there's so many opportunities right now. No one's no one's out of a job, you know. No one should be fearful of of being off, you know, unemployable or, or so on. And in fact, I think a lot more corporates now are more enlightened about hiring, you know, failed entrepreneurs. <laughs> um, so I, I I just honestly believe you've got to give it a try. And and as I said, if you want to want a product led business, accept that you need to you know invest your time in it. I love that. Great advice. Ed, you've been amazing. I love it. I think you're in the, I think you're a genius. I think you're in the right place at the right time. I'm jealous. I wish I'd pick something that was as timely as this, because you know, you're at a point where instead of trying to build a Shopify product now, you want to build it four years ago, which you did. So uh, look, I think you're on the, the brink of something incredible. So look, congrats for that. And uh, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you.